Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Jubilee Street, a music podcast. My name is Jake Curtis. I'm joined here by Ian McCurtis. And we are talking about a pretty cool little song this week. I don't know if, I guess it's just considered like a single or a compilation song. It is All the Gold in California by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and Do you like my answering machine voice? I did. I well, I I thought I had gotten your answering <laughs> machine, and this was like you had like set up your AI podcast persona already. <laughs> Do you remember when it was the thing to have a an answering machine that was like, "Hey, oh, not much. How are you?" Oh, and like to trick you I into hated thinking those. they, I you were talking to them. I think Cody Ray had one of those, didn't he? I don't know. I just remember that was a thing. A lot of Somebody. people had. Yeah, that was the whole, that was the, that was all the rage in like middle school and high school. I don't know if you ever did this, but at Mail, I did this up until I was in like junior, junior year, I think. Mail would give out those phone books every year. Remember those? Phone books? Not really. Yeah, so it wasn't a yearbook. It was like once a year, they would take all of the students' phone information. And they would put it in like these like cheaply paper bound like book things, and it would have like the student's name and a phone number. So we would, me and Nathan and Corey and Dylan would use the numbers in that book to prank call people, mm. and we would do that sort of thing. And we would also use like a Jack Black soundboard, so it'd be like all Jack Black sound effects. Uh, it was really fun. <laughs> I think we only ever got through to one person who like didn't hang up on us and like got angry. The days of the soundboard. Well, it, that reminds me too. I had this funny thing happen. Haley and I were on a walk the other day, and oh, it was, it was Tuesday, and it, we our internet had gone out, so it kind of changed up our whole plan for the day and. I wasn't able to get that many job applications in. And so we ended up just going on a walk. And I don't know, I, th- I think I've gotten better at noticing it as I've gotten older. But do you know that feeling of when a teenager is trying to goad you into, like trying to fuck with you? Have you experienced that at all recently? Uh, no. Well, so if you go to the mall... Or if, you know, we live in like a pretty like family friendly neighborhood and this kid, you know, we've been, we've been trying to work on like, as we walk, like saying hi to people and, you know, being a little bit more sociable with our neighbors and stuff like that. And so I heard one of the, these kids, I just sort of saw him come out. One of them looked like he was on some little, like, it looked like a, like a bike, but it looked like too small for him. But I was like, in my head, I was like, maybe this is like some kind of new bike. Like it's like the new Razor scooter. Like it's this new thing that kids are, it just looked way too small. So I see him come out. I don't pay him any mind. And then I hear, hear one of them say, hello, like, hello, ma'am. Hello, sir. And at first I was just like, oh, hi, you know? <laughs> and then he asked me how my day was going. And I said, oh, it's pretty good. How about yours? And then he did that teenager thing where they're like, awful. And then I don't know what came over me. <laughs> it just like fell out of my mouth. But I was like, oh, it's probably awful because you're riding that tiny bike. And like Haley cracked up next to me. <laughs> she was like, you roasted that kid for like no reason. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It was it was just completely like some kind of weird, chaotic. Uh, like, what a weird interaction. Energy. Yeah, it was weird. It was fun. Anyway, that's sort of my, my long intro. I did want to add one thing. So... I uh, I asked you before we started recording whether this would come out after the Smiths episode. 
Um, there was, uh, I believe we said something along the lines of Morrissey's done more for animal rights than like anyone. And I was thinking about that and I actually disagree. And so I wanted to put a couple of names out there to our listeners that I think have done more than Morrissey for animal rights. Um, so if you're interested in animal rights or veganism, uh, this is for you. If not, you can skip right through it till we get to the Nick Cave song. But I would recommend checking out Mark Ching, who started um, a foundation called, uh, trying to find the name. Basically, he helps rescue dogs from dog farms um, that get like bred and mutilated for food. Uh, Animal Hope and Wellness Foundation. Then also check out Miyoko Shinner, who founded um, Miyoko's Creamery and Miyoko's Kitchen. Um, in 2014, she's created like all these awesome vegan products and she works with animals closely. And I think she does a lot of great work. Unfortunately, there was some firing that happened where she lost her position there. I think it was just some bullshit, like boardroom type thing. And lastly, for anybody that's interested in like, that's just getting into veganism or animal rights and you want to see somebody who's doing it right. He's not like, you can't hate this guy. He is a great debater. He is fun to watch. His name is Ed Winters, and he's known as Earthling Ed. And he uh, sets up at like college campuses, busy intersections. I think he's a little bit more or less, he's like less out in the field these days because he's like kind of blew up. But he will sit down and talk to people about like how to adopt like a vegan mindset or a vegan lifestyle. And I was just thinking about it and I was like, I don't really want Morrissey to be the face of like animal rights because I, I feel like he 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 put a name to an album, but I don't know how well he represents it. So um, that's just my two cents. So if you want to check those people out, that's uh, a long-winded introduction. So No disagreements yeah. there. If I said that, I was probably just being hyperbolic. It's, uh, oh, you're fine. I... I just care deeply about this stuff, and I felt like. But, but I most had a people don't know who. I just mean as a public figure, he's probably the biggest celebrity that has been out there for forty years now. Yeah, yeah. Fight. As far as like a, um, you know, I just uh, there's a lot of people like on the ground, and I think Morrissey kind of helped light the match, and they're kind of keeping the fire going. So, yeah, everybody check it out, and let's get into Nick Cave. I. Uh, I think I talked for like 10 minutes. <laughs> so this song is a, a, sound, a closing credits song for True Detective Season 2, a cover of yes. the Gatlin Brothers song, All the Gold in California. So um, I believe this is the needle drop in the first episode of the show uh, at the when the end credits roll. I'm only six episodes into the season. I... I'm enjoying it for the most part so far, but the, finding out this cover was in the show has probably been the most interesting part of the show for me so far. Uh, what do you think of the song? Uh, I mean, I don't love it that much on its own, but I get as like something to hit when the closing credits, like I, I, it probably serves its purpose very well. It probably feels badass, but like I'm not, I'm, had never heard this before, and I probably won't go back to listen to it, but there's just something cool in movies about taking a well-known song and hearing something you've heard before, but it's, like, different. I mean, it's that bullshit that every horror movie does now where they take a pop song and slow it down, which is getting very uncreative. This is a creative way to take, like, a classic country song and make it dark. What movies are you talking about? Any horror movie now, when I see the commercial, it's like a pop song that's slowed down, like a fucking Justin oh. Bieber song or a hip hop song, or they just slow it down and make it sound <laughs> creepy. I mean, it's just like yeah, the most uncreative thing to do right now in a horror movie. I will say I love when Jordan Peele does it. Yeah, it's because everyone copies like everything did, Jordan Peele does. They when he did the. Uh, I got five on it, but like just use the melody from it. For, yeah, it started. Uh, us. I mean, I don't I love I, that. He probably wasn't the first person to ever do it, but yeah, after that happened, now everyone does it. But it works. Like, because you're, you're like, oh, I've heard this before. 
Or like, you know, um, in Westworld when they did like Radiohead songs, but old timey. Like, it's, it's, it's just cool. Like, I've heard this before, but it's different. Yeah, I, I know what I know what you're talking about now. It it, it has it it has probably been done done to death, and like you said, I definitely think the song hits better in that it like caps the episode. And as I've watched the season and I listened to a little bit more of the soundtrack, and I think you said this, it's this song in particular was curated for this season of the show, along with a, like a couple other pieces, if not like. I think there's like a Leonard Cohen track, but I don't think he wrote that for this movie. I think they just used it. So this in particular was made for the show or the, I called it a movie TV show. It's interesting that this is the song that was chosen to be covered. And I'm, and I wonder if Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds chose this or if someone working on the show asked them to, did, were you able to find anything about that? Cause I couldn't. No, but just knowing like how T-Bone Burnett works, I, I'm guessing he probably, or I don't know, it was probably like a conversation. Oh. They probably both picked it. Like it was, it was probably a collaborative effort. T-Bone Burnett played on the song with them and some of his guys played uh, bass and drums. So it was probably just a, a big collaboration. I saw that um, a familiar name was listed as the producer alongside T-Bone. Nick uh, Lanay. Nick Lanay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like it's cool. They're kind of, I think, I just feel like he's like eternally connected to this era of the bad seeds. And what's also interesting is that this song falls between two pretty important album shifts for the bad seeds, push the sky away and skeleton tree. Yeah. But I will say, I think, I mean, it sounds like a, a T-Bone Burnett produced song. Um, it also mm-hmm. kind of sounds like the dirty three more than Nick yeah. to me. Yeah, the Dirty Three is a great um, a great point. The guitar solo at the end of the song, I've got to think that's Warren Ellis. Um, I, I couldn't find much on the exact personnel for that track, but so, the guitar solo is awesome. Warren Ellis is listed as playing tenor guitar. T-Bone, T-Bone Burnett is listed as playing electric guitar. Oh, so it was T-Bone Burnett. Okay, cool. So it's a very collaborative effort then. Okay. And yeah, you know, T-Bone Burnett, uh, he did, I mean, he's kind of the go-to for any movie with like a Western-y vibe. He, uh, he did Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Fam- I feel like that's his biggest career achievement. But he, he's just kind of the go-to guy for this vibe, and it feels like, you know, a lot of his work. Do you have anything in, like by T-Bone Burnett that you particularly like or prefer? I, I don't know if I've ever heard his, like, I know he does solo music. I don't know if I've ever heard it. He played in Bob Dylan's band. I think that was kind of like how he got famous. And then he's most famous for th- these sort of, like, soundtracks or movies. I think mostly movies. Um, this is the only TV show I know that he's done. He did Inside Lewin Davis. That had a great soundtrack. He did a bunch of stuff. Oh, he did that? That movie's awesome. Crazy Heart. Wow. Um, he worked on walk, the Walk the Line, Joaquin Phoenix, Johnny Cash movie. I mean, you know, he wasn't writing the songs for that or anything, but yeah, he, he's just a go-to guy in Hollywood. That's interesting. I, I never knew that he played with Bob Dylan. Um, he's one of those guys. I got, I got with... Rolling Stone, or my dad got Rolling Stone magazine when I was a kid, and he was one of those guys that the uh-huh. Rolling Stone was obsessed with. They were always just, just anything T-Bone Burnett did, they were like reviewing kindly. The it looks here he worked with Counting Crows, Los Lobos, and he it says on Wikipedia he revitalized the careers of Greg Allman and Roy Orbison. It's crazy. But but yeah, his vibe, you know, he I think has the same aesthetic as Leonard Cohen, Tom Waits, Nick Cave. So mm-hmm. it's very fitting that they that they did a song together. Like it, it seems like it was probably inevitable. Great name for a music artist too. Uh, did you? So, have you seen any of True Detective, like at all? The like through all, any of the seasons? I've seen the first episode of season one. Never, never, never cared to finish it, or it just wasn't for you. Just, no, I thought it was great. Just not enough, not enough hours in the day. I get you. Um, 
to me, season one of True Detective is one of the best. I'll call it a season, even though it feels like it's like a standalone thing because of the like anthology vibe. And going from my expectations, it it wasn't until recently when I was talking with um, Andrew Lee, who was on our Smashing Pumpkins episode. For anyone listening, uh, check out that episode. Andrew was great on it. Um, Andrew's a pretty big supporter of season two of True Detective. And I hadn't really met anyone that had convinced me to try it. And the only other person I could think of was Cam. Because I remember Cam really liked, like he would talk about it a lot at Please and Thank You, which if you know Cam would be like, he just said a couple of words about it. <laughs> um, so I finally got around to, to starting it. And it's it's a slow burn. There's been some really cool moments. And it makes a whole lot of sense the more I listen to all the Golden California, why this song is in like sort of the timeline or is aesthetically part of the show because there is a dead feeling in the episodes that adds this like numbness to when you watch it. I don't think it's particularly effective, but as I did research for the episode, I guess it kind of, locks in a vibe, but it's unfortunate because there's so much energy in this song and it's even, and it's not the best bad seeds cover by far, but not the, the bad show seeds. just Nick Cave, Warren Ellis. Oh, it's Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Um, it's, it's not the like Nick Cave, Warren Ellis, best Nick Cave, Warren Ellis cover, but it's unfortunate because like the show, I feel like the show could be so much better and the mu- the music quality is really great. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the, the subject matter of the song works with thematically what they're trying to accomplish, even though I'm not G- quite sure what they're trying to accomplish. Give everyone a, a br- like a 30 second overview of the premise of the show because there's probably a lot of people listening that are going to listen to this cover or have heard it but haven't watched the show. Yeah, well that's why I wanted to do an episode about it because I did not ever, I did not know this song or cover existed until I watched the show. So for those who don't know, True Detective is an anthology police procedural drama um, made most famous for its first season starring uh, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. The second season stars Colin Farrell, Rachel McAdams, Taylor Kitsch, uh, otherwise known as Gambit in X-Men The Last Stand. And also randomly Rick Springfield is in this movie. Yes, that Rick Springfield. <laughs> um, and it's bas- it's your basic police. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, did he open up the Springfield Hotel after Cambria Hotel shut down? Yeah. <laughs> Joke for the... Um, for the three people in Louisville, it was <laughs> So basically, Colin Farrell plays like an alcoholic dad who has a chip on his shoulder because his wife was raped and he thought he killed, spoiler alert for anybody, he thought he killed the person who did it. Turns out he didn't. Um, he works for Vince Vaughn, who is trying his very best to be a convincing mob boss. Um, and then Rachel McAdams plays... A hard to pin down character. She's like, they do so many weird things with her. I, I don't even know how to describe her, but she's a, a rough around the edges uh, woman cop. And she also has a chip on her shoulder. Everybody in the show has a chip on their shoulders. Taylor Kitsch is secretly gay. And he was, he dealt with some like black ops, like military stuff. And there's just so much going on that doesn't matter. And that's, to the show's detriment, but essentially they stumble upon a mystery when an affluent man gets killed, which impacts everybody. And they start trying to solve the mystery involving these like blue diamonds and girls being sex trafficked. And, you know, it's kind of run of the mill police procedural stuff. So yeah, that wasn't 30 seconds, but I did my best. So taking so all that the vibe of this song like fits that very like that that's what I'm saying all the like I don't think this was a cover done to be the standalone single people listen to all the time but for the use of mm-hmm. a needle drop I imagine it works super fucking well 
Yeah, it's great. It's 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 an awesome awesome ending to the episode. Um, one thing that I believe they were trying to accomplish with the soundtrack is in season one of True Detective, it's set in Louisiana, and Louisiana itself is a character in the show. Like they do a good job of like filming a lot of scenes in different parts of the bayou. And in this season, the setting is Los Angeles. So that's kind of why I was mentioning, like, I think there's a lot of ways people go about making shows based in Hollywood or Los Angeles is they either make them like very bright and, you know, appealing or they're incredibly dark and gritty. And this show's interpretation of LA is incredibly gritty. It's dark. It's violent. It's almost like too, too dark and violent in that it's like not even an interesting location. And, you know, like you mentioned, this song kind of aids in like whatever vibe they're going for, it, it helps with that and it, it works because I think this cover in particular takes a lot of the, it's a good cover, but it takes a lot of the life and fun out of the original. And it, it seems like this season's whole theme is like LA mm. will literally rip your fucking heart out. Yeah, LA's in, I mean, that's why it's the setting for like every noir tale. Like, it's just an endlessly mm-hmm. fascinating city. So, mm-hmm. what that thing about it being lifeless, that, I mean, that was my major note is that it's really fucking cool the first time you listen to it, but all the melody of the song is stripped. But with what you said, that makes total sense why they, they chose to do it that way. So. I bring this up all the time, so you're going to know what I'm talking about, but for the listeners who may not have heard all our episodes, have you seen Roadrunner, the Bourdain documentary? I feel like you have. No, I haven't. I can't not. remember, though. You haven't. Okay. Well, then this will be kind of familiar, but maybe not. So there's a scene in that documentary where our, our boy David Chang is getting interviewed, and he talks about how he was talking to Anthony Bourdain at one point. And he was talking to him about what music he liked. And Bourdain told him, it's that one Brian Jones Town Massacre song. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. It's like the kind of euphoric one. And David Chang, you know, it plays the music for a little bit. And then David Chang comes back into frame in his talking head. And he's like, dude, this is heroin music. That's kind of what I think they were trying to accomplish with this cover. They were trying to make something that's like needle go in euphoria rush out it's dirty it's grimy it's kind of off kilter it's kind of off off tune a little bit Mm. Mm. so yeah no good point because when you say heroin music i think of velvet underground not only because they have the song Mm -hmm. called heroin but you know venus and furs all the all those songs on that nico record are kind of purposely amelodic and this, uh, the way Nick yeah. is singing on this song, it, it could be a Velvet Underground song. Well, it it kind of makes me feel like he didn't give a fuck. I, that, it really gives that, like, I do not give a fuck kind of feeling, mm-hmm. you know? So I didn't know this was a cover. If I already said this, I apologize. Uh, did you know this was a cover as soon as you, as soon as I, I brought it up? Yeah, the, I sort of like, so my stepmom, Christy, her family... You know, I I grew up hearing a lot of country music around them, and I didn't like country music as I was a kid when I was a kid because they listened to a lot of this style of country music that I'm not mm-hmm. a big fan of. I can appreciate it now, but I still don't like like I still don't like it that much. I really dug the. I think there's two versions on Spotify that I listened to. I really liked them. They they definitely lean more into like. Uh, for anybody who's seen like the Righteous Gemstones or any movie about like an evangelical like Christian vibe, like they definitely lean into that Southern gospel. But it kind of feels like I wish Nick Cave had been optioned to do this song ten years prior when he was making like Liar of Orpheus and um, There She Goes My Beautiful World and stuff like that. Because I feel like this is exactly what he's going for on some of those mm-hmm. tracks. There's probably a version of this that's sung more that way. I, I'm guessing this was probably like T-Bone Burnett's choice. Mm-hmm. Or or even the, I, I would, the showrunner. 
Well, the unfortunate thing is the sh- is this season of True Detective is maligned. Like, it has a very low rating online. Even as I watch it and am forming my own opinion, I'm pretty underwhelmed by it. And it, it part of me thinks like you like there might be like an alternative studio version or a demo version that sounds different. And I, I don't know if we'll ever hear stuff like that because I feel like the stuff that gets the B-sides is rarely, or not the B-sides, but, you know, the the bonus edition, the deluxe edition is rarely the DVD that, you know, or the show that didn't perform well, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk a little bit about why I think this song might have been chosen. Um, okay. So, I mean, just from T-Bone Burnett's name, like, you can tell this guy loves blues music. That's a old school, like, bluesy kind of name. And those kind of guys mm-hmm. that are really into blues are obsessed with music history. So, mm-hmm. I, I sort of had that in mind. And a, a brief way, a history of how we got to the Gatlin brothers. There was... So, there's the classic country... That everyone loves. You know, people are like, I, I don't like country, but I like Johnny Cash. There's that classic mm-hmm. outlaw stuff. And then you get what's come to known as the Nashville sound, which is uh, more produced, less gritty. Um, some religious overtones start getting thrown in. It, 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 it's like the, the forebear to like pop country. Um, this is called mm-hmm. the Nashville mm-hmm. sound. As that develops... You, uh, it gets even cleaner and cleaner, and you get something uh, people called country politan, I believe. And uh, George Jones is sort of like the like non-threatening, just songs about trying to be a good husband and a good dad, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, being a good guy. Like the Gatlin brothers fall into that uh, camp. Very clean. Oh, okay. Very, um, I mean, the Gatlin brothers were, were a Christian group. Very, you know, usually religious. I feel like T-Bone Burnett's probably looking at all that, and he's like, let's take one of these songs from this era that has no grit and make it sound like a dark old country song. You know, mm-hmm. one extreme of the genre with the other. And yeah, it worked. You know, it doesn't sound anything like the original version. So I think that's, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm speculating totally. here, but I imagine I'm probably pretty close to the idea, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like akin to Rick Rubin taking Johnny Cash into the studio and being like, why don't you do a Bonnie Prince Billy song as outlaw Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. but opposite? <laughs> and it's, it's bizarre because the Gatlin bro- Brothers song is like completely... Like vibe wise, it's like it just complete. It just feels like a completely different song once Nick Cave and Warren Ellis get their hands on it. Yeah, I mean, they t- I think they take out a verse. You know, it's only like two minutes. It's they made it shorter. They took out the key change. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's repeated. Yeah, it's pretty significantly mm-hmm. different. It's hard to even almost call the cover. Yeah. It's almost like you know, like a reinterpretation. Yeah, or even even if it's it's like. I think there's three total verses on the lyrics for this cover and it, it, it feels almost more like a, like a bumper, like, like it could be like the equivalent of an adult swim bump. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a song. And I think that's unfortunately where I I feel like it's just going to be one of those forgotten or lesser known tracks in Nick and Warren's discography because it doesn't have that much appeal past that and the interesting connection to Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin bros. That's what makes uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis so good at the soundtrack stuff, though, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, I mean, I'm, I'm speculating again here. I've never made a soundtrack, but I feel like a big part of being good at that job is probably letting your ego get out of the way and just do what makes the movie or the TV show better. So Nick Cave's really good at that. A lot of the soundtrack stuff doesn't... It's not that fun to listen to on its own, but it's also probably not meant to be. It's meant to make the movie better or the TV show better, and it usually does. They're very good at it. And, you know, 
Nick Cave and Warren Ellis have yet to be like evangelists as far as like a a duo making like listenable soundtrack music. Vangelis did the soundtrack to uh, Blade Runner, I believe. Um, let me Google that so I don't sound stupid. I believe it's Vangelis. Sorry, I'm having Blue run the information through our supercomputer. Yeah, they have a song called Love Theme from that soundtrack. That's incredible. But I, uh, I don't know. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Like, the Velvet Queen soundtrack actually I think is very listenable outside of the movie. I think it heightens the movie, but it's, it's a beautiful soundtrack. Yeah, I'm just not really one to listen to soundtracks on their own at all. So, yeah, I don't have much to say on that. Maybe some Johnny Greenwood would. Johnny Greenwood ones. He did a good soundtrack for The Master. I, I think I have it on vinyl. Phantom Thread. I guess he's, well, let me he's, ask been, you, he's been P.T. Anderson's go-to. Did you, did, you lo- did you read it at all into Larry Gatlin? Uh, no. No, I don't know anything about him at all. Uh, so he and the Gatlin brothers are from, uh, Seminole, Texas. I had a feeling as I was reading through his Wikipedia page, uh, it turns out that he is since 2010, Larry Gatlin has contributed to Fox news and Fox business network as a political and social commentator. And he has been on other what look to be like conservative adjacent like media platforms. And um, I did a little more Googling and I found out that he backed Trump in the elections. And uh, But interestingly enough, I saw that on May 26, 2022, he pulled out of the NRA convention performance he had booked because of the a massacre that had happened in Uvalde, Texas. So int- just interesting connection there. Um, that kind of makes me like the cover more because it's like, this, yeah, this guy got darker in his uh, uh, worldview and they took one of his songs and made Absolutely. it Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know. I always like to know a little bit about the person whose song is being covered and... Um, no surprise that a, a you know, pop-friendly Christian country group would turn into Trumpers. His fucking Wikipedia page feels like it was written by like a like a nationalist like patriot kind of person because there's a there's a completely unnecessary paragraph in here that says Gatlin was a quarterback at Odessa High School and after graduation in 1966 was eligible to serve in the military during the Vietnam War, but chose to attend the University of Houston. And as a wide receiver on that football team, he caught a touchdown pass in 1968, which his, in which his team scored 100 points. It just feels like whoever wrote this is trying to make this guy sound more awesome than he is. That sounds like the opposite to me, because that sounds like he was eligible to serve our country, but instead he chose to play sports. Well, that but that's what I'm saying is, like, whoever wrote this, it has this, like, self-conscious quality to it. He's like, well, I could have served, but I didn't. I, I went to school. I bettered myself, you know? It just feels like, I don't know, I just, I like the idea of, like, uh, comedically at least, like, thinking about those, like, conservative people who, like, they're always like, man, if I, I wish I could serve my country. I wish I could serve my country right now. And it's like, you have no fucking idea, man. You have no fucking idea. Like, mm. you just want to hold a gun, you fucking idiot. But, uh, and the only other interesting thing about Gatlin I found is that uh, after he graduated and did some solo work, he was a background singer for Chris Christopherson in mm. uh, like the early 70s. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Chris Christopherson kind of he straddled that line between like outlaw country and pop country. So, I want to lean a little bit into some of the information you were sharing earlier because I just think this is a good segue. Because Nick Cave and you know Larry Gatlin, you know these are two interesting figures to have been placed together in this timeline we're living in. What are your thoughts? We've talked about country before on the podcast, but. What's your current stance on country? What are your, some of your favorite country artists that you might recommend to people who 
maybe like this cover, maybe, you know, don't care for Larry Gatlin anymore. Maybe they're trying to check something else out. Uh, my favorite, you know, like if, if you're looking for like radio friendly country, big smash hits is Alan Jackson. Oh, got any uh, songs or album recommendations? Uh, I mean, just find his greatest hits on Spotify. There's probably a bunch of different versions. I mean, that dude is a great artist. What do you think about Garth Brooks? Garth Brooks is another great one. You like Garth Brooks? Yeah, they're kind of contemporaries. I like Alan Jackson more, but they're, you know, they were stars at the same time, making the same kind of music. Okay. And uh, I feel like they were the last era of like, I don't want to say the last era because I don't, I don't listen. <laughs> it's not like I listen to country music radio. I don't know who the current stars uh-huh. are, but like both of them just felt like they were being honest and they weren't like projecting. So much of country music is like projecting this fake image of yourself that I don't like. I don't like it in hip hop either. Like, I don't like the whole like acting like you work on your truck all the time when you live in California, been rich your whole life. Like, you know, just all that shit. And I, I feel like Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson both feel like honest artists. And for those of you who want something a little different from your typical country fair, check out Big Wet. Big it's got wet? a song, I think, called... Yeah, it's got a song called Turn Up on the Weekend. Mm. You, you never heard of Big Wet and the two live... I think it's like... It's not two live crew, it's something. No, I've heard of two live crew. Uh, but to answer okay. your question about country music in general, I think it's great. Where does country music sit? Do you have any country artists that are on your... Uh, uh, like, do you have, would you, do you feel confident in like a country Mount Rushmore at this time? I, th- uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think, uh, Johnny you Cash, wanna... Dolly Parton, Alan Jackson, and, um, Arl Guthrie. No. <laughs> it's hard to not just go with legends because they have such a big body of work over, you know, country people stay putting out music. Uh, and, and let's say Willie Nelson. Okay, that's a good that's a good one. Jeff just saw Willie Nelson at Summer Camp Festival. He mm. said it was great. I've tried to see him the past two times he's, he's come to Louisville, but they sold out uh, both times. Because, I mean, I think he's like 92. Yeah. Like, if, if anybody wants to see him, you got to get on it. Yeah, he... I don't feel like he's going to stop touring yet, but he's getting close pretty old i mean if you're torn when you're 92 you're probably just gonna go till you die right exactly like just that at that at a certain point it's probably what's keeping you alive (laughs) Mm -hmm. you got like you're living off that adrenaline or whatever um and he seems like he i mean he smokes a hell like a fucking shit ton of weed so that's probably got to be keeping him uh somewhat sane and painless through all the it's just touring is just brutal to me and like whenever I hear like comedians or bands talk about touring, like even like when your band goes on tour or, or did go on tour, those are just it's just hard times, you know. It just depends on your built how you're built. Like some people live for it, you know. Yeah. Some people yeah. don't like it. Yeah, it's true. A lot of people are in the middle. I I think I don't know if I'm a touring guy, but I've never been on a really long tour, so I can't say, but yeah, that's that's uh, all all the gold in California. Um, I did find that Larry Gatlin wrote it while being stuck in traffic. Like he wrote it in the middle of a traffic jam, which is pretty incredible. Uh, that's interesting. I I couldn't in help but shake. Oh, okay. Well, that's even more fitting because um, he's probably like, "What? Where, where's everybody going? Everybody going to Golden Ca- in the middle of California, somewhere in Beverly Hills." All I, I can I think, think about was Scrooge like, McDuck. It's so fitting that it was in True Detective because the feeling of the song is is a noir. Like it's like you yeah. think you think like you realize the American dream. It, it's like John mm-hmm. Steinbeck. Like you think you think you're the American dream. Come to California, it'll fucking ruin you. Yeah, like it's a dark yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. And it's cool that they made a version of it that like matches the lyrics. And when, you know, when you think of California, there's a couple of things that come to mind, uh, movies and like show business, obviously. But 
other things, you know, homelessness. Avocados. For avocados, forest fires. Avocado toast. Um, avocado toast. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. Weed. Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, but is the governator. I, I think the show Barry is, has been the best, like most recent, like new media to nail LA like vibe wise. And it's, it, it, it genuinely is a place that chews you up and spits you out for all your worth. And like, there's also people who have just lived there their entire lives. They're from there. It's just like a normal place. It's not this like magical, like, you know, coveted cinematic kind of thing. And it's, it's really cool that a city like a, a man-made city can have that kind of reputation. Cause like, I think a lot of the major cities in America that we all have our stories about Louisville and, um, this song was a good choice for the show because like you said, it fits the vibe and the overall tone that they're trying to nail, even if I don't vibe with it that much, it's pretty spot on. It's cool. when. You, I think even on the podcast, you talked about how, and like Batman, Gotham City is like the best character, you know, that makes yeah. Batman work. Yeah. And it's the same thing, like... Well... Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you go ahead. Fin- finish your thought. We, we have a few in like real life. Um, I'm sure there's more if we were more cultured, but, you know, because of Charles Dickens and then later authors, like London is like a character... New York City is a character, and then, you know, obviously, like, mm-hmm. we're talking about Los Angeles and Hollywood is, like, its own character, and it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating when cities can, like, they become uh, almost mythical. Yeah, and I think, you know, without Gotham, there is no Batman, because there's no fulcrum for which his character to do anything other than be a billionaire or even exist at all. And it's kind of like a lot of our, like the way that we are as people has been shaped by where we live, where we've like lived in the past, who we've lived with, you know, and places are very important to the plots of a novel. Like, you know, Kafka on the shore comes to mind, like the train, like, you know, that character taking the trains and, you know, staying in these hostels and like apartments and there's like a particular feeling that comes with where you are geographically. And it's important. It's important to the, to the way that movies and TV shows are received. You know, people are going to have a preconceived notion about California just, just based Mm -hmm. on this song, but also from watching this season of true detective, it's going to shape how people view the city. Yeah. And whatever TV shows I grew up watching, it's just so, it's like one of those things that like, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like blowing my mind because we don't really talk about it. We just internalize it and everyone feels that way. But like, mm-hmm. if I wrote a novel about um, a guy named Jake and a guy named Ian starting a podcast, if I mm-hmm. said it in Boston, it immediately from page one of the novel is going to make the reader feel something different than if I said it in San Francisco. Like... Yeah, you know these places just like it means something in a story. It's it's really cool, and we all just yeah, like kind of exactly. know it, but you don't really like think about it. That's why those like I'm I'm reading Legion by William Peter Blatty, which is the basis for the Exorcist three movie, and the fact that it's set in Georgetown near Washington D.C. is like like those steps from the first Exorcist like they just like kind of tower over what's happening in this book. And if it wasn't set in, like if it was just set somewhere else in the country, it wouldn't hit the same way. And, you know, with Nick Cave, Gothic South, like Mm -hmm. Cormac McCarthy, like if he wasn't writing like, you know, if he wasn't evoking the kind of imagery of the goth of the Gothic South, like they would be different books, you know? I'm about halfway through um, How to Sell a Haunted House. How do you like it? Grady Hendrix. I think it's, I think it's pretty great. I, thought I, was, I was really swerved because I thought it was like a, a funny book. And it is genuinely terrifying. Some of the shit so, with these puppets. 
I do I think am there's really, one. Really glad that you think that too. Go ahead. There's. I thought the character, like the characters, were pretty awful. Like bad writing the first 100 pages. Like mm-hmm. the brother is like, he was always he was so like unlikable that it was like not even believable. Like, yeah, he was very one dimensional. And the same thing with the sister. And then you get the reveal like 150 pages in. Yep where it's um, the flashback to stuff that happens when they're a kid. Yep. I think I think it was a bad choice to put that so late in the book. I feel like that should have been like the prologue to the book or something because I like actively disliked both of them, and 150 pages is a long time. But other than that, now that we got there, I think it's great. Well, I don't think you're at the part where it gets truly... There might be something coming up that I could see take, taking you out of it completely, but I thought it was so scary. I just got to the thing um, with the eyeball, with the sewing needle, the puppet. Oh, yeah. And then they just have, went to Waffle you, House, and that's where I stopped reading. Okay. But I was like, then man, I, I thought, what, because all his books, the like trade dress and the marketing's like funny, I thought this was going to be like a campy play, almost like scary movie, but a book. And I was like, oh, shit, this yeah. is like... I don't think it's as good as Stephen King, but it's way more akin to that than something campy. It's it's remarkable how much they sell the book as funny, like a lot of his books as just like comedies. It was a good swerve like because it horrors. made it even scarier because I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there are aspects of it like when... He's very good at making it seem like it's like nothing's really happening which is like the scariest part about like po- like item possession movies or like toys or like puppets coming to life is that no one really believes you so when especially when it's like an adult that is experiencing it it's even scarier because now no like no one believes me there's some cool stuff that's going to happen in another flashback with the brother um that you're, you that you'll see and I, I think you'll really like it. So, yeah, I'm glad you're reading it. It's a good book. Some good characterization. The thing with, like, the pizza Chinese, that was so good. That said so much in such a short amount I of time. I knew you would love I, – I, I remember reading that, and I was like, oh, Ian would love this kind of thing. You, you love little food things like that. I just love when you're able to do a lot in just a few pages, like, and, and using mm-hmm. stuff like that, like – that, that tells so much about the characters in such a short amount of time. Just good writing. I, I would love if you, if, you are wor- if you were like working on a short story in the future, I would love to see you name drop uh, Hing Wang in there. I could see you writing a good little thing about Hing Wang. Yeah, Chinese, Chinese food is uh, it's good for that because it's like... I feel uh, maybe it's just me, but you rarely get Chinese food alone. That's like sort of like a hangout kind of thing to get. Mm-hmm. What's a solitary food that you get? Soup? A solitary food? I feel like fast fast food. You're just like, mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't have to impress anybody. I'm just going to eat just to be full. Yeah. I think like for no me, sexiness it'd be like to a McDonald's. Sandwich. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. a good question. It, there's like... Yeah, soup. Mm-hmm. Like, it'd feel weird to like, hey, we're all going to get together and eat some soup. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. I would love it. I love soup. It, I'm the biggest soup guy in the podcast business. It reminds me uh, when I was single and I would be, you know, shopping at Kroger and I would always get like three or four cans of Amy's like black bean soup to take mm-hmm. to Great Escape. Um, it, it really is like a f- only a food that I would ever eat by myself. Like I would never want to eat it around other people for some reason. <laughs> But yeah, I I feel pretty good about leaving it there. Any other points you want to bring up before we wrap up? No. Shout out to the song. Shout out to T-Bone Burnett. I do I do think this is a cool piece of trivia. One, I didn't even know this existed until you texted me about it. But two, it's cool because yeah, they I like was excited to do it. They collaborated with essentially another band. And I don't know yeah. if they've really done much of that. So that was cool. No, you're right. I 
that's one thing that I, that came to mind while I was listening to it and doing research is that, um, I can't think of a lot of collaborative efforts that both like Warren Ellis and Nick Cave together have done. Mm -hmm. Like they've done things like together, but they're in a, they're already in a band. So it was exciting to find out that they were working with other creative voices on here. And I think for better or for worse, you can hear that influence. Um, before it just we... kind of feels like they were just there, there's like an annoying, like aggravating factor to this song that sticks out to me, and I wonder if the process was pleasant for either of them. That'd be a good question for the Red Hand Files. Have you played the game Control? No, nope, I don't think so. They do really cool like needle drops in that game, and I feel like this song could have been in that. It has the same. It's a video game. Feel. Yeah, it's made by the studio that made Alan Wake. I haven't played Alan Wake, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does the same thing. Um, what do people try to say when you're asleep? Ian Wake. Ian Wake. Ian Wake. I, uh, if you got a few minutes, I can do a quick live music corner. Oh, yeah. I got. Uh, we still have... Yeah, we have plenty of time. I would um, love to hear it. I went to a big Beatles music festival called Abbey Road on the River um, two weeks ago now. Please leave a message after the tone. <laughs> I, I would highly recommend it to anyone under the age of like 60 because you go to this, you know, now that I'm in my 30s, sometimes I go to a show and I'm like, oh, I'm the oldest person here. You will be the youngest mm -hmm. person at Abbey Road on the River and you'll feel cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just um, nothing but Beatles cover. No, I, I shouldn't say that. There's some like classic rock cover bands, but it's mostly Beatles cover bands. Um, there was a Pink Floyd band, right? Yeah, and I fucking I never really heard Pink Floyd before, dude. That music is so opposite of what I look for in music. I hated it. I I don't know how bad the cover band was, but uh, like, if they Courtney were just not and, a good and cover her dad band. both said they were like spot on, like note for note. It was incredible. Oh. Then you just don't like Pink Floyd. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I've never really heard them before, and I was like, yeah. this shit. The first song, That's it funny. took like eight minutes before the vocals came in, and I leaned over to Courtney, and I was like, oh, is it like instrumental versions of Pink Floyd? And she was like, no, that's just how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney's not even doing a bit, and it's like spot on. Uh, but... um. There was what a band. Beatles songs did you hear that you enjoyed the most? Well, go ahead. Uh, uh, there was a band from Brazil that all dressed like young Beatles, mm -hmm. and they had like the haircuts and everything, the suits. They were really That's good. Awesome. Um, I saw a band called... Um, uh, now I can't remember what they're called, but they, they basically tell the story of the Beatles, and they, they do outfit changes, and they go through the eras, and they have like videos playing behind them. And they had a guy playing Ed Sullivan that like um, does monologues like a, like a stand up uh, like a TV talk show while they're changing to like you know it's this big like narrative experience that was really cool. It was the That's headliner. Cool. There were some people that did like tried to do their own thing with it that I love in theory, but they weren't that good. There was a, a band from Finland that did like very European like ABBA sounding versions of the Beatles. It was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. There was yeah. a girl group called the Beatles that tried to do like a Phil Spector, like Ronettes, like girl group version of Beatles songs that I thought That's was awesome. an awesome idea, but I did not think they were very good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just a good, a good time. Watch a bunch of old people vibe out. Dance around. Were there any Beatles like food? Like shape like in reference to any of the songs no and that is something we went this year and last year because it's right by our house and it's fairly cheap they have a yeah. few drinks they have like you know like a strawberry fields forever strawberry daiquiri yeah or, um that's an easy one a yellow submarine like yellow cocktail but mm -hmm. the beatles lyrics are so like colorful and i feel like you could have whole menus like 50 different like because there's all kinds of food trucks. I, I think that's mm -hmm. pretty lacking on the Beatles-themed food and beverage. Yeah, so, like, one idea would be a Yellow Submarine Sandwich. Yes, Yellow Submarine Sub, um, absolutely. 
the uh, there'd probably be something the long and winding uh, euro. Mm-hmm. So you got like a Greek Greek option. Man, I wish I had more Beatles songs. Um, I don't know something with the tax man, uh, like hacks a hacks man, and it's like a butcher or something like that. There's a lot of good stuff in there, and and they'll in there. <laughs> Eleanor uh, Ribsby, you have like a rib cart. That'd be that'd be a good one. That might be my favorite Beatles song. That's a fitting Beatles song for you to like. It's it's like it's very beautiful and upbeat, sad. but also like very sad and that's why uh, I like it. Kind of saddest one. Kind of like Velvet Underground, uh, like has like a dark humor to it. Um, I am bummed because my favorite era of the Beatles is like that uh, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Middle mm-hmm. Era, but a lot of the that's bands the either era. gravitate towards the you know like boy band, like really young Beatles, or the psychedelic mm-hmm. end. There's not a lot of that middle era. I do enjoy Abbey Road, and I think it kind of is in that more psychedelic era, but. For me, it's all about um, Revolver. That's my favorite. Well, I mean, it's all great. No complaints. And then Wednesday, I went to Waterfront Wednesday to see Charlie Crockett, who... Charlie Crockett. Um, he's put out 11 albums in the past seven years. And a lot of them are covers. That's he crazy. Might, he might have a Gatlin Brothers cover, for all I know. Um, but he would probably appreciate this cover. Uh, I believe you have a live movie corner, too, don't you? Oh yeah. Um, what's it? it's not called? Is it called Across the Spider Verse? Yeah, Across the Spider Verse. Okay, Across the Spider Verse. Oh, the first one's into. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. no, no, I don't want to spoil it all because it's still so new. But uh, the the animation is, I, I cannot talk it up enough how mind blowing it is to see what they managed to do. I, I went to my mom's for dinner over the weekend, and they had the first one was playing on FX, and. The leaps and bounds they made from the first one to this one are like, I, I don't know how they did it. Like, dude, it's some like, when people talk about uh, freaking, who did The Shining and Clo- uh, Clockwork Orange and all that? Kubrick? Yeah, when people talk about Kubrick, like the movie magic he was able to do, that's what this movie is. Like, I don't know how they pulled it off. So from what I've heard about it, they had a almost a completely new directorial like group. I think there's like three directors, um, at least two, and I don't think any of them worked on the first movie as directors. So I was really worried that it would not maintain the same vibe tonally. But based on how many people like it, I I love when movies have an even better follow-up like not a lot of sequels stick the landing and it sounds like this one did so i'm really excited to see it now everyone's calling it the empire strikes back and it's it's very much that yeah plus i think uh spider-man 2099 is in there right yeah oscar isaac mm-hmm. that's a that's a cool that'll be a cool character to see andy samberg um, is ben riley scarlet spider <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, I think I could be mistaken. I aren't they connected to the movie as like producers? Uh, him and like Akiva and Yorma, like the the Lonely Island guys. Oh, I don't know, but I see Andy Samberg's look into that. Uh, name attached to like random shit like that, so it wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. I well, I know they've been connected to. I think you should leave. Like, yeah. I think they helped produce that. Um. So it would, and they've done a lot of other cool projects. They're kind of, they're. I feel like they're they're not quite at the level of Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen's producing company, but or production company. But they're getting there. They they put out a lot of cool stuff. Um, Ian, can I ask you one last question before we finish up? Of course. What's your Duncan order? It's your go-to Duncan order. Oh, do you, do you see that I have Duncan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So. A, I love their iced coffee, so I have to ask. A large iced coffee or cold brew. I really love their ta- uh, what are the, the hash browns? They're so good. Um, mm-hmm. And then I usually get some sort of of food. They have breakfast tacos now that are pretty freaking wow. great. 
They got this like lime cream sauce on them, lime crema, and it's so good. <sighs> dude, that sounds so good, dude. Not the biggest fan of Dunkin's Donuts. Who do you think has a better fast food donut? North Lime? I guess they're not fast I mean, food because they're like a small yeah. business. So if you gun to your head, Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts? Dunkin'. All right. Um, I've never been. Do you, do you like Krispy Kreme donuts? Is on the way to your house. I can't eat them anymore because I think they have egg or dairy or both. But I did really like them as a kid. And I honestly cannot remember if I've ever had a Dunkin' Donut. I feel like I probably have, but I, they're not memorable. Krispy Kreme donuts are pretty divisive. People either seem to like love them or not fuck with them. I think they were one of those things like late high school, early college where like people were like, oh, there's no, dude, there's nothing better than a, 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 a fresh Krispy Kreme mm. donut right when they come out of the oven. And I remember my dad would do one of two things and one of them more often than the other. But when we would have to stay up late because we'd be coming back from like a marching band competition He'd pick us up at like 10 or 11 at uh, Mail High after hours. And um, he would either take us to White Castle or he would like have gotten Krispy Kreme donuts. So we'd like get to eat some like kind of fun snack before we went to bed. And there was one time I think he got Krispy Kreme instead of White Castle. And I was stoked because uh, I don't know. My dad was really, he was good about that stuff. He was good about just like getting like fun foods to like celebrate things. I like that. I like I like doing that too. Yeah, I mean, look, look, a yeah. donut, any donut is is good. <laughs> it's bread and sugar, but I prefer mm-hmm. something. You know, like Krispy Kreme donuts are like they're almost like nothing but air. They're so fluffy. Yeah, yeah. I, I prefer a they just more, melt in your mouth. They're I like prefer a more a more dense, like substantial donut. Yeah, I don't know if I'm in the the majority here, but I think cake donuts are the superior donut. Haley loves yeast donuts, which I think are the ones that typically tend to kind of like melt in your mouth more. I don't like those as much. I like a, I like a nice bready bite. What makes North Lime so great, which is only in Louisville and Lexington, the listener, sorry, is their yeast donuts like chew in your mouth like a cake donut, but they have the yeasty taste too. It's like the perfect donut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I had one of, they had a vegan donut. And they have vegan donuts um, every day. Last time I was at North Lime. Yeah. And they, they had the same consistency. Like and they the were vegan yeast donuts, donuts with a um, cake consistency. I've gotten quite a few of the vegan pla- flavors. They taste pretty much indistinguishable from the non-vegan ones. They do a yeah, vegan I, donut. I have the same gripes with like mid Midwest Southern companies that offer vegan options and that they need to offer more. But what I do like about North Lime is their flavors are not like run of the mill. It's not like a, just a glazed donut. Like they had like a, I think like a maple like an apple maple or a pecan maple flavor when I went, and it was great. Yeah, I mean, I think North Lime does it right. They have a vegan flavor every day, and it switches at least every week, if not more often than that. They do, I think, I feel like they have pretty good coffee, too. I don't know if they brew their own or if they get it from whoever they do, um, good is folks. local to work. Good folks. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, that's why. I think good folks is probably the best coffee in our in our area of like Kentucky, Indiana, if not um Sundergoss. I, I missed it, but they had a limited edition like Neapolitan um coffee where it was like I think it was like a vanilla iced coffee with some sort of chocolate strawberry thing on top. And I was like, that fucking sounds good. That's my favorite Man, ice cream. That sounds good. Oh, I didn't know Neapolitan was your favorite ice cream. That's awesome. You get a little bit of everything you want. That's that's pretty that's a pretty you flavor to pick because I feel like Neapolitan's like an Italian thing, right? You might be thinking of Spumoni. Oh, I'm that's thinking of the Spumoni. one where it's pistachio, the... chocolate, cherry. Okay, so yours that is just strawberry, good. chocolate, vanilla. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, okay. it's like the um, the basic bitch version of Spumoni. Still a good a good solid ice cream choice. I like. Um, I'm kind of basic. I like a good French vanilla, but I also go for moose tracks and uh, cookies and cream. Yeah, uh, well, I, I like vanilla bean. What French vanilla? I don't know. I like vanilla bean better than French vanilla. I don't know what the difference is, but a good vanilla ice cream. I think. Good. 
I genuinely liked French Vanilla as a kid because the Kroger brand was like yellow colored. Yeah, so French it was Vanilla like is more yellow. Appealing to eat. Mm-hmm. Vanilla beans white with. I think French Vanilla is vanilla and hazelnut. I think. That sounds right. Anyway, this is this that is, um, was the our podcast about ice cream. Podcast. Ice cream podcast. Uh, partnered ice cream. With, with we all cream. scream for podcast. Um, shout out Louisville Cream. Shout out Corey Lucas who likes Louisville Cream. Um, I was just there. You ready to take it home, Ian? Yeah, bring it home. Y'all can check us out on YouTube, Jubilee Street uh, Music Podcast. We are slowly but surely. I'm going to get more episodes uploaded there. I'll put. Uh, we have a Smith's episode that just came out. That'll be there available there as well. I know some people like to listen to YouTube uh, are on YouTube, so trying to make that option more available. And then you got us on Apple Music and Spotify. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe, leave a five-star rating. It really, really helps us out if you do that. It gets us up in the algorithm, gives the algorithm a little bump. And I think that's everything. At Jubilee Street Pod on Instagram if you want to follow us there. And uh, thank you all for listening. And thank you, Ian, for your love of ice cream and haunted houses. Peace out. Thank you, Blue. Thank you, Bye. It is not